such a great looking bunch of people. Um, so a couple of years ago, uh, our outreach partner, I mentioned the Raleigh Dream Center. We have an entire food bank that's built here into the church here, about 3,000 square foot, floor to ceiling, full of food for our community through the Raleigh Dream Center, our outreach partner. And a couple of years ago, Amazon called them and said, hey, we have a whole bunch of food that is going to go bad and we don't know what to do with it. Is there anything you can do with it for the community? So uh, through the Dream Center. So Jeremy from the Dream Center said, yeah. And they called me and said, hey, I've got, Mike, I've got all this food coming and uh, a lot of it's perishable. We can't use it all. And so could you reach out to your congregation and see if they could use it for them or neighbors in need or whatever? So we sent out a text blast, you know, to those that were signed up under 97,000. And we said, hey, there's free food, come and get it. And when we got back there, it wasn't just a little bit of food. There was literally a tractor trailer, floor to ceiling packed with food. I mean, it had to be tens of thousands, uh, if not over $100,000 worth of food. So we sent out that blast and hundreds of people from the congregation, as well as they shared it with the community and all these people came out to pick up this free food. Well, one of our team members, she actually came to help and she brought her son with her that was about three years old. Well, in the process of everybody coming to get food and, you know, and this team member trying to help, she turned around and her little boy was gone. He was missing and all these people. And she came to me and she said, I can't find him. Can you help me find him? And so immediately I just stood up and I got everybody's attention. All these people that were in our back warehouse, just dozens and dozens of people. And I got all their attention. And I just, I described this little boy. And I said, if, if everybody can drop what you're doing and let, and we need to look and find this little boy. So suddenly food was not important anymore. Suddenly, somebody was lost. And so all of our focus changed from food to finding this little boy. Now, the good part of this story is he was around the corner playing with some kids or something. He was just right there. But I want you to notice, we were all, you know, those of us that are on staff, we were there helping people find the food that they need, switching out containers as they emptied it out, helping all the people that were there. And those people were focused on what food that they could get, what food that they could get for their neighbors, all of that, until there was a lost child. And I wanna tell you this morning that this is how God's heart works for those that are lost. In this church, we got a lot of stuff going on. We got a lot of ministry. We got a lot of people that come. We got a lot of people that we minister to. We've got services. We got children's ministry, youth ministry, meetups. We've got all of this spiritual food and all those things are great. However, when you realize that someone is lost, it changes everything. And that's what I wanna talk about today. And one of the amazing things about Jesus when he was here on the earth, is that when, when Jesus showed up in the first century, the lost, the most ungodly people, they actually looked for him. They sought him out. They liked him. They weren't put off by him. They didn't feel rejected by him. I mean, and sometimes I'm sure they felt like, man, if he only knew what I just finished doing, if he only knew, you know, about spring break and the Sea of Galilee, if he only knew what was going on in my life, there's no telling what he would say to me. And so all these people that were so far away from who Jesus was, they would actually flock to hear him speak. 
And if this was Jesus's MO and this is how Jesus ministered, you would think that those of us that follow him and those of us that gather in these communities that we call churches, you'd think we'd wanna be just the same as Jesus. We would want to be like Jesus. See, when, but when people con come into contact with the church as a whole, as a body of believers in America, it should be as much as possible like being with Jesus. It's just odd to me that people that considered themselves sinners, unrighteous, far from God, they loved being around Jesus. And when you think about the church as a whole, not necessarily this one, but just the church as a whole in America, people that consider themselves far from God, a lot of times they don't wanna have anything to do with us. They don't wanna come. They don't wanna be a part of what we're doing. And that brings me to this question. As a pastor, as a congregation, I think this is the big question. Why was Jesus so attracted to people that were nothing like him, the lost? And why were the people that were lost so attracted to him? When he would stand up and teach, why did people crowd around him? Why did people that were far from God or people that, and why did the people that were identified as close to God or the righteous offended by him? And I think the answer to that question, as well as our willingness to actually accept this question, will actually put us on the track of being like Jesus, more, maybe more than any other question. And it will determine our future as a church. And I think in order to figure this out, we gotta study Jesus's life because he was attracted to and he attracted people that were nothing like him. And his mission to reach these people was super evident. And, and also, if you're here today and maybe you're not a Jesus follower or you don't know, maybe you just don't know what you believe or you still got lots of questions or maybe you got some church hurt from another church and you're not sure about all this whole thing. If you would go back to the first century and you were to meet Jesus, you would like him. You would love him. And you know, something else is he would like you too. And even though he was pure and holy and righteous and his teaching, even though that they were very pointed, you would never feel condemned. You would feel convicted, but you would never feel put off by that conviction. There was something that would attract you to him even though you would never attain the level of holiness and righteousness that he had, you never feel looked down on. And in that tension and in that internal conflict, you would find yourself drawn to him. And so what we're trying to do is continue to become the church that God called us to be. And we do that by trying to be more like Jesus, to try to study his life and find out why. Why is it that most people far from God loved being around him and he loved being around them? Why is it that they felt like they belonged in his presence? See, the goal is that those that are far from God will be drawn to him, listen, just because they're with us and we reflect him. But here's what I wrestle with. What was it that made him like that? Why was he like that? Why? Did people that were far from God, why were they attracted to him? And that's what I wanna to answer today. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 15 because the answer to this question is found there. And Luke 
Luke was a doctor that uh, did a lot of research based upon, he interviewed eyewitnesses of Jesus. And so he, had, he accumulated these stories. And in Luke 15 is a story where Jesus was talking to some people that were nothing like him and also some people that were supposed to be like him. And so let's pick it up in Luke 15, one. And it says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And once again, this is an example of what I'm talking about, where the sinners and the tax collectors, they were there to hear Jesus. And so let me tell you quickly about tax collectors. So there were the really godly people, and then there were the average people, and then there were the sinners, and then below them were like the tax collectors. Like they were so bad, they had their own category. It was bad enough to be a sinner, but then there was the tax collectors. And it, man, if you were a sinner and you were super bad, you were a bad sinner, you could always think, well, at least I'm not a tax collector, you know, because there was a whole rung underneath you. They got their own category. They were traitors. They had betrayed their own people they, to side with Rome and they gathered taxes for Rome, the oppressor, and they would then from their own brothers and sisters, their Jews, and then they would charge more than what Rome actually asked for, and they became very wealthy on the backs of their own people. And so, but these people, along with the sinners, they love to hear Jesus. And so they're all gathering around to hear Jesus. And then, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the people that considered themselves the holy and the righteous people. And you'd think that Jesus would spend time with them and you'd think that they would embrace Jesus. But instead, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, it says that they muttered. And they said, this man welcomes sinners and that's not bad enough. He even eats with them. Like he goes to their house and spend times with them in their own homes. Not only does he welcome them, but he goes to their homes. And, they, and again, they're asking this question that we're asking today, which is why? Why, if you're the righteous son of God, why would you come to earth and not hang out with us, the righteous godly people, and instead hang out with the, right, the unrighteous, ungodly sinners and tax collectors? But he liked them and they liked him. And so the Pharisees are asking this question, how can a man who claims to be from God, how does he not relate to us godly people and how does he connect with the people that are far away from God. And then to answer that question, Jesus tells a series of stories or parables as the Bible calls them. And they're, and they're made up stories. And these stories challenge us. If you're a Jesus follower and you're sitting here today, it challenges you and me at the core of who we are, but also who we're supposed to be as a church. So let's look. So then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And everybody in Jesus's culture in his time, they would all understand this. This was a common uh, practice of shepherds is that's what they did. If they lost, if they had a hundred, they lost one, they would leave the 99 and they would go find the one. And so then Jesus says, well, and when he finds it, he's joyful. He puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and he calls his friends and neighbors together. And he says, rejoice for me because I have found my lost sheep. And everybody there, they were going, yep, exactly. That's, that's just what we do. And then Jesus explains a very foundational point based upon this, which is, so when you lose something, you focus on what's lost. You don't pay attention to all the stuff that's found. So we had all that food and that team member lost her son in that mass of people in that large building. 
And she came to me and she said, in panic, said, I've lost my son. I didn't say, well, but we do have a lot of food. Or, hey, no, there's some kids playing over there. Don't worry, we still have children. It's good. No, that was not helpful. She didn't say, oh, well, cool. You know, and I can have another child, so it's all good. No, it doesn't work that way. No, when we lose something, we get focused on what is lost and we're not at that moment so concerned about what we already got. So he's telling them this parable about the sheep and they're all tracking with him and they're saying, yep, you lose one, you focus on the one, you forget what you got, the 99, because you focus on the lost more than what's found. And then he says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that's just a person with a broken relationship with God or doesn't have a relationship with God over or who repents. And that just means you change your mind about God. You surrender your life to him. It just means to do a 180, you turn and you go toward Jesus. And he says, there'll be more rejoicing over one who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. And I'm sure as he says, don't need to repent. He's looking out of the corner of his eye at the Pharisees. It's like, yeah, you guys are the found ones or so you think. And all these other people are the lost. And I hate to break it to you, but God's more excited about what's beginning to happen in the hearts of lost people than all of you who feel like you're righteous and you got it all together. Perhaps God's focus is not on what's found as much as what's lost. So, before they can ask any more questions and try to trick him like they usually do, he goes on to the second story and he says, uh, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. And everybody in Jesus's audience was like, yep, when you lose money, yep, that's exactly what happened. You know, if she got up one day and there was some money missing, she would move all of her furniture. She would sweep her house. She would do whatever she had to do to actually find that because when something's lost, you look intently until you find it. And when something is very valuable that's lost, you don't stop looking until you find it. It's not like I've lost my keys, but oh, no, no big deal. There's my couch. I'm all good. I had a friend that went to a restaurant and his wife lost her retainer threw it away in the restaurant. And then after doing some quick research on how much it takes to replace a retainer, they go back to the restaurant, got permission to go through the dumpster, pull a bunch of the bags out, took them home and went through restaurant trash to find the missing retainer. This is what we're find This is what I'm talking about. So yeah, you look and you look and you look until you find what's lost. So then he continues. And in the same way, Jesus says, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents or turns. And again, before anybody could ask Jesus some silly question, he launches into this third powerful story. You might have heard of it. It's called the prodigal son. And he says, there was a man who had two sons and the younger son comes to the dad and he says, father, would you go ahead and give me my, hair, my share of the estate? Now, when Jesus said that, they would have all gasped. In that culture, for a younger son to say to the father, hey, do you mind pretending like you're dead for a minute? Because when you're dead, I'm gonna get an inheritance part of the estate. So let's just pretend like you're dead. 
And so culturally, this would be so offensive. Jesus is trying to make the, he's telling the worst story possible. And so this son is saying, dad, as far as I'm concerned, you're dead. As far as our relationship, it's over, it's dead. And so could you play dead and give me my inheritance? And so the father says, sure, I'll do that. And they wouldn't have understood that either because that would have never happened in their culture. And so a few days later, the son takes off for the city with all these things that his father has spent his life saving up to be able to leave to his family. And then the tax collectors and the sinners and the Pharisees, see, Jesus at this point is holding their attention in the palm of his hand. He was a master storyteller. So the son runs off with the inheritance, the story goes, and he's living it up. He has party after party, and he ends up blowing it all. And at this point, everybody listening to Jesus, they would know that this story was a worst case scenario in their culture. It couldn't get any worse than this, but it does. And so Jesus says, so after the son had spent everything, there's a famine in the land and the whole country, and, uh, and he began and he began to be in need. And so he couldn't find a job. The only job he could find was feeding animals. And then Jesus turns the screw again in verse 15. It says, so he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish community, all the Jewish audience would have almost come unglued because Jews didn't even touch pigs, much less feed them. And so now there's this Jewish son in the worst possible situation and then Jesus makes it worse. And one day he's feeding, uh, he's feeding the pigs and he says, well, you know what? My father has servants. And so, you know, my, my dad, he actually treats his servants better than I'm being treated right now. So maybe I can just go back home. I won't have to feed the pigs. I could just get a job. I mean, I wouldn't be able to go as a son. That's over. But maybe I could go home and just get hired by my father with the other servants. So he gets up and he begins his long journey home. And in Luke 15, 20, it says he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. I wanna pause for just a second. If you're a person and you feel far away from God, maybe you've run from him, but when you look in your father's heavenly direction, you know what he feels for you? Compassion, not anger. Compassion. Yeah, but Micah, you don't know what I've done. Well, that was why Jesus was turning up the heat on this story. This was as bad as it could possibly get for the son in Jewish culture. Jesus said, when the father saw him, he was standing there a long way, way off. He was standing on the porch looking for his son. And when he saw him afar off, he was moved with compassion and he ran to him. And he, and he threw his arms around him. And at that point, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of law, they would have just thrown up because this guy's been dealing with pigs. Let's be realistic, Jesus. You know, okay, God, teacher of the law, that son is so ceremonially unclean because of, because of the pigs, it's gonna take months before he could even be touched. I mean, he slept, the, the Bible says he actually ended up sleeping with the pigs, and, but Jesus is not done yet. And he probably smiles and he lays on another layer and he says, if that's not enough, oh yeah, by the way, he kissed him. You think it's bad that he ran toward him? You think that it's bad that he, he hugged him? No, he even kisses him. So the son falls on his knees and he's 
starts into his speech, like, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. If you'll just hire me. And then verse 22, the father looks around and says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Bring the ring, put it on his fingers. Sandals, put it on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's party. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. And they begin to throw a party. And all of a sudden, it becomes clear. He wasn't lost like the sheep. He wasn't lost like the coin. No, he was lost like a son. Hey, what happened to a relationship? And then it starts to sink in to the audience what Jesus is talking about. That the reason that he was there and the reason that he was so attracted to and he was so attractive, uh, attracted by those that were far from God is because those were people with a broken relationship with their heavenly father. And that is why he came. In fact, a few chapters later, Jesus says this. He said, you wanna know why I've come? I'm, I'm here to do a lot of stuff, but the real reason I've come is to seek those that are lost that are relationally disconnected from the father. Back to the story. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and said, what's, what's up? And the brother has come, he's, he said, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. So then the older brother becomes angry refuses to go in. So the father goes out and pleads with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your order. I'm one of the 99, father. I've been here and did I wander off? No, I'm one of the 99. I've been faithful. I'm still here. And you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. There's a theme there. But when this son of yours, he's not even my brother anymore, he's son of yours who squandered your property, came back with, pro or he, he squandered your money with prostitute. Man, you've heard the rumors, dad, everybody knows. And then, you, and then you kill the fatted calf for him? What's up with that? Why are you so focused on the rebellious son? The one that is far from you, the one that broke his relationship with you, the one that totally walked away from you, the one that embarrassed you, the one, the one, why are you so focused on him and not me? My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is already yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead to me. You've already, got, you've already got everything that pertains to life and godliness on the inside of you, but he was dead. And he left, and for all practical purposes, he had died. There was no relationship. I could not connect with him, but he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. You wanna know why Jesus spent so much time with people that were far from God? because that's exactly what he came to this world to do. And look, I don't wanna offend you, but the way that Jesus sees the world, that your heavenly father sees the world or the Holy Spirit sees the world, there are lost people and there are found people. 
There are people that are far from God and there are people that are close to God. There are prodigal sons and there are sons that have never left. And Jesus says, I hate to break it to you, Micah, your wonderful church and the leadership and the staff and all the Christians in the world. You guys are great and I love you. I've given you everything in my household, but you're not my focus. I came to restore a relationship with lost people that are far from God, that are disconnected from God. And if you want to know my heart, that is my heart, God would say. Because see, the easiest thing for us to do is just to continue to fill up services, to sing our songs, you know, all that stuff that we're gonna continue to do, uh, you know, in amazing children's environments and meetups. And I think God is very pleased and honored by all of that. But his focus, and in fact, the reason for all of that is to equip you and me to find those that are not here yet. We gotta decide if we're gonna be focused on keeping people or reaching people. Are we gonna focus on reaching people or just doing the same thing that we all like to do? See, the answer to that determines the direction that this church goes in. And I like to say it like this. We're not as concerned about those that are already here, me and you. We're, we are concerned at reaching those that are not here yet. Let me say this. If you're far away from God, he has compassion for you. He's focused on you. Now, he doesn't love you any more than he loves me, but he is focused on you more than he's focused on me by far. And one of those questions that we have to have as if we are following Jesus is, are we gonna have the heart of the father or the heart of the older brother? It's all about me. I like this music. I like that music. I like this way. I like when you preach that way. I like when this person preaches. And you gotta understand, look, if you, if you don't understand that this heart for the lost and is a main, part, per, a main focus of ours, this church is gonna bug you. The full services are gonna bug you. The, it's gonna bug you that how long it takes you to get back out on Capitol when you leave today. The lines to check in your children that you, I gotta park in the bottom of the parking lot and walk up unless you understand what our mission is supposed to be. And then it's exciting. Look how full the parking lot, I get to walk up from the bottom parking lot. Look at all the children going into the children's ministry. It's having the heart of the father. It's not about those that are found, it's about those that are far from God, that are broken, have broken relationships with God, either because they don't believe in Jesus yet or maybe they haven't heard the real Jesus They've, they've heard about the Jesus that the religious people tell them about, but not the real one. Or maybe they walked away because something bad happened or something happened in a church. We don't know why, but here's our challenge, my challenge for us. Are we gonna continue to be a group of people who are focused on those that are far from God, the unchurched, the unsaved? Or are we going to be a church that's just focused on church people and what church people wanna see and what church people wanna do See, we never wanna become that church. That church is all about who's here and who's giving the money and all about who's who and who knows who and where does everybody sit 
and what's my title? And, you know, I was sick and the pastor didn't call me. Now, I didn't tell anybody at the church that I was sick, you know, but uh, they were supposed to be, you know, monitoring my Facebook posts and then they were supposed to call me and, you know, or I was gone for a few weeks and then the pastor didn't call me and blah, 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 blah. Sorry. Look, we've never been like that. You don't ever want us to be that church. I don't want to pastor that church. We don't want to become that older brother that is so happy in our Christian life and we're so consumed by the busyness of life. And even for Melissa and I, the busyness of of leading a church that we forget that we are not our heavenly father's priority because we're already in and we already have all things that, that he's given us. But the reason that God is here is for the outsiders, those that have never known or have known and forgotten or those that have intentionally just walked away from God. And what makes this so strange is all of us at one point have been the prodigal son, haven't we? And whether you've been a Christian a long time or not, we've all been lost. We've all been far from God, broken relationship with God. And you would think because of that, And because God allowed us back, we should be so extraordinarily motivated to be men and women who are see want to see people come back to God and want to be a part of that. But we have to be a part, or we have to be a church that is like Jesus, where people are far from God. They know. Well, wait a minute. There's something different here. That they could walk through these doors. And because of the atmosphere, the spiritual atmosphere, the physical atmosphere, the smiles on faces, some of you guys need to smile more, by the way, the smiles on faces, the hugs, the high fives, whatever it is, no matter what they look like, no matter where they're at in their life, no matter what their life decisions are that you can tell by looking for them, they realize this is a place where they can belong. And I think that's what they saw when they were around Jesus, that there was something about Jesus, it was obvious that they could belong with him. Even though they may never or would never measure up to his level of righteousness or holiness in and of themselves, they still knew by being around them, he doesn't condemn me, he loves me. He's gonna shoot me straight. But even in those moments, that they would feel like they could belong with Jesus and in the same family as Jesus. That's my prayer for us. That when people walk through those doors, when they come to your meetups, when they come to 24-7, when they get in the children's ministry, that, that they think, yes, this is what I've been looking for. This is where I belong. And it's because we see them like Jesus saw them. And I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but Easter's in a few weeks. And Easter is an amazing time where we celebrate not only what Jesus did for us, but also what Jesus did for the lost. And it's an amazing time to celebrate, to actually invite the lost in to a place where we know they can belong, and that's your church. And that's why I'm super excited about Easter. It is the Super Bowl of Sundays for us. And we are going to be adding a service. Uh, Our services are already, as you can tell, we're packed. We're not going to be able to fit everybody in for Easter. And so we're going to add, oh, hello. Yeah, there we go. We're going to add a service. uh, These are our three service times, 9, 9.45, and 11.30. They're all going to be identical, same music. I said 8. 8, 9.45, and 11.30. And they're all going to be identical. But... I wanna challenge you, number one is to pray. 
Number one, I want you to pray specifically for all the services and all the people that are coming. And would you pray for me? I'm gonna spend a lot of time in preparation for that. It's gonna be a powerful message for you, but also this message is gonna be handcrafted as well for people who are far from God. Which brings me to the second thing that I wanna encourage you to do, which is bring people. Easter Sunday, uh, Easter and Sunday are your best chances to invite people. People are usually already looking for a place to go to church, even if they don't have a church. And I want you to think about somebody in your life that maybe doesn't have a close relationship with God or his church, or doesn't have a place to go to church on Easter. And the best way to do that is to ask them like this. Will you sit with me? So you, you ask them, you pick, you know, which service would you like to go to? And so you tell them all the service times and then you say, okay, you pick the service and that's the one I'll go to as well. And I want you to sit with me because a lot of times they're not sure. Are they gonna, you're gonna invite them and then they're not gonna be sitting together. It makes it a lot easier if you're gonna sit with them. And then by the way, if you don't have somebody that you're, you've got coming with you or nobody uh, accepted your invitation, I'd like to ask you to attend the early service if you can that's gonna be not quite as full historically as some of the others. Obviously, we have services that are already pretty full even before Easter. And uh, those are usually the services that everybody likes, so that's why everybody attends them. And so a lot of times, those are the ones that the people that are coming for the first time are gonna choose as well. So if you can come to that earlier service that day, you can have the rest of the day. Um, and so also there's a card on your seat there. It's an invitation. You can get more out in the hallway if you want more. Um, and I'm gonna give you a moment in just a second. And I'm just gonna give you a minute to let the Holy Spirit bring to your remembrance some people that he may have put in your path. Coworker, schoolmate, uh, neighbor, whatever it is. But what I want you to do in just a minute is ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your remembrance the people in your life and write those down and pray for opportunities. Just ask the Holy Spirit, you know, whether you're knocking on the door or you see them every day, whatever it is, but pray for opportunities to invite them. And uh, so we have the invitations there on your seat that you can use for that. And then we um, also on Saturday, you saw the video, we have an Easter egg hunt, lots of inflatable games, lots of food, fun, uh, whether, you know, whether you got kids or grandkids or no kids, you're gonna have a blast. But I want you to, add, you can invite them to that too. But I want you to ask in just a second, the Holy Spirit, who do you have in my life? Because God came to seek and to save the lost. And he wants you and I to be his hands and his feet. Melissa and I have got people on our list that we're gonna invite as well. And I wanna encourage you, just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart, bring people to your remembrance. And as he does, write the names on that card. It's perforated, so uh, you can write them down for you. And if, if you're concerned about you know, privacy, you can just write first names if you want but um, write it on both parts of that card, tear it in half, put half in the offering on the way out, uh, on the way out the door, you take the other one. This one is just so we can pray along with you, okay? So you keep the other half and you put it somewhere where you, know, you can see it on a regular basis. And we want you to pray every day for the next few weeks. Pray for them, pray for opportunity to really invite them because they are who is on God's heart. They are the ones that God is focused on. And when we became Jesus followers, that should be a, f a focus of ours as well. So if you would stand with me.